Good morning. Let's begin by hearing the scripture that has been our focus so far for the summer, the beginning of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Matthew that we now call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, where he describes the kind of life that exhibits God's blessing. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And today's challenge, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So just when I thought I was starting to wrap my head around the meaning of these, you know, these little short statements by Jesus, these blessings, these beatitudes, he throws us another curveball today. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, well, I get that. You experience God's favor when you know that you don't have what it takes before him. It's not very hard to say, that's me. I know I'm spiritually poor before God. And when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, it's easy to think of, you know, our sins and our shortcomings and say, hey, that's me. I, I feel grief over the ways that I've sinned against God and the ways that I've sinned against other people. I'm sorry for the things that I've done that have rebelled against God. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, I, I can get that too, that my strengths need to be surrendered to God's larger purposes for my life. I have to be under his control. And then hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I know that feeling of, of wanting the world to be as it should be, not as it is. And knowing that only Christ can make that happen. Knowing that only Christ can meet our needs for true justice and goodness and wholeness. And, and mercy, well, of course, as I've received mercy from God, I also need to give it away. As I'm forgiven, I need to be able to forgive. All those things make sense to me. But when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, I don't find myself saying, that's me. Not at all. I don't feel very pure, and I don't expect you to either. And then Jesus ties on a second thing that's equally impossible. He says, for they shall see God. And that's huge. I mean, who wouldn't like to see God? To have a crystal clear understanding of God. All your questions answered all your doubts erased, all your anxieties and worries just kind of absorbed into his magnificent greatness. To really see God would mean I'm totally one with him and all the confusions and conflicts and, and cares of this life would just kind of melt away. But I know that's not real for me right here and now. Quite the opposite. I, I feel so impure. I feel so conflicted inside my heart my inner self, my spiritual and emotional and intellectual center, it's often a chaotic mess. So here I am as a preacher working my way through these beautiful beatitudes, trying to give some fresh insight, maybe a new perspective as I teach. And generally, I've been feeling pretty good about what we've uncovered so far. But this one, this beatitude, when I read this one, it's, it feels like I've stepped into a bear trap and its sharp teeth have kind of snapped close around my leg and it's not going to let me go. This beatitude, more than any of the others, exposes the real me. It exposes where I really struggle. I think 
One of the consequences of the COVID-19 crisis is that over the last five months, all of us have had to take at least a little time to examine our lives, you know, take some time to reflect on our relationships, our careers, on, on what we truly value, reflect on our losses and the grief that we're all experiencing, to take some time to reflect on, you know, sort of what are we really made of? And the Bible would call that your heart. The Greek word Jesus uses here that we translate as heart is cardio, not the physical organ that pumps blood throughout your body, but that inner self that is the center of who you are, that defines who you are, your, your inner essence as a person. And Jesus spoke a lot about the heart and its crucial relationship with God. Uh, Matthew 15, 19, when the Pharisees are kind of focusing on ceremonial hand-washing as kind of the critical component for faith, Jesus said, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Our thoughts, our imagination, our self-talk, our dreams, our desires, Jesus says, these are the things that combine to be our heart. And unfortunately, what goes in, on, in our heart is not disconnected from our words and our actions. What's, what's on the inside doesn't just stay there. It finds its way to the outside as well. If our spiritual heart is unhealthy, it will show evidence of that in real life. What's going on in our heart actually determines what is going to go on in our outer world. And so we realize that it is easy for our hearts to drift, to go off course, to move away from God's best. We're told in Jeremiah 17:9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So from a human perspective, the heart is the source of all our trouble, and it's not something that we can fix on our own. The heart, it's this part of me that needs to be changed, that needs salvation. And that's where the good news of the gospel comes in. St. Paul writes in Romans 10:9, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe where? Believe in your heart in your essence, in your innermost self, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So being pure in heart, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Being pure in heart, that could really be a game changer for your life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What I'm realizing during all these months of social distancing and isolation, you know, is that this disruption is really exposing how diseased my soul, my heart really is. Let me try to explain that. Uh, there are times when I feel so wonderfully connected to the Lord, you know, in my study of scripture and my prayer life and just walking and being with God in nature or just going through the regular routines of life. Times when I feel just so clear in my heart, but then other voices, enter my head. As Brother Lawrence describes it, I have a grasshopper mind. It jumps from one thing to another pretty quickly and at one moment feeling close to God and then the voices of stress and strain take over or interpersonal conflicts happen that I have to address or decisions, you know, lots of decisions, trying to make the best decisions possible while really feeling like I'm flying blind. And it's exhausting. I see uncertainty all around in our government, in our medical leaders, our politicians, our cities. I mean, the world just looks like a train wreck. And then to make matters worse, I take a look at Facebook and I'm triggered. 
I see people who are my friends, my family, saying things that, that anger me. Political rants broadcast across the pages of social media. I see Christians that I know who, who, who I used to respect taking these immovable, intractable, no compromise positions on a whole host of political and, and racial issues, often at opposite ends of the spectrum, and basically saying that if you don't adopt my position, then you're probably not really a biblical Christian. That's how Christians are talking to each other these days. And I know I'm not alone in being upset by this. I talked with a good pastor friend of mine who just decided to delete his Facebook account, all his social media, kind of just delete the news because of the acrimony, the tone that's being shared. It's just this daily negative, toxic drain on his soul. You see, I mistakenly thought that as followers of Jesus, all of us Christians, here in the U.S. and all around the world, I mistakenly thought we all had the same calling from Jesus to be his disciples, that we were all called to take on the characteristics of his blessing, that we were all becoming poor in spirit, adopting a posture of humility, that we were all finding ourselves on the same page, grieving the losses of the past months, mourning over our individual and national sins and the sins of the church that meekness might actually be our new way forward, surrendering our strengths to the Lord rather than you know, demanding our own way, rather than threats and, and acts of violence, that we were all hungering and thirsting for the same thing, the rightness, the goodness of God, to rule in our hearts, to rule in our land, to rule across our globe, that we were all committed to treating each other with mercy, not name-calling, not shaming, not invoking fear, not acting superior, not judging, not throwing our own you know, so-called truth bombs at each other. And I'm talking about Christians. Instead of what I find is that my idealism is being shattered on a daily basis. I'm triggered. And as a follower of Jesus, I'm required to trace and follow that thin red line of my trigger into the deepest part of my dark and messy heart. And I don't like much of what I can see. Because what gets revealed in my own heart, I find my anger level is going up. I find that I'm starting not to like some people that I'm friends with on Facebook. I find that I am kind of sick of pl pious platitudes. I'm tired of the easy, my way or the highway answers to almost everything. But it's not just that what I'm watching or reading is so idiotic or incendiary. It's that my own heart is revealed. I feel anger. I feel despair. I feel frustration. I sense a devastating disappointment in myself, in my flawed efforts to be a spiritual leader. I know this, that I am not pure in heart. If I'm anything at all, I am not pure in heart. I'm a conglomerated mess, a mixture of motives. So if I discover yet again that I'm not pure in heart, does that mean I will not really be able to see God? If I follow the logic of Jesus, I may not. God will remain an unsolved mystery, an undiscovered territory, distant, vague, unresponsive. So I'm triggered again. How in the world can I ever make progress in my efforts to live the Beatitudes, to become pure and to see God? And I realize I'm not alone in this dilemma. It was actually, it's actually everyone's dilemma. It was the predicament of the Apostle Peter, I mean, Paul, I'm sorry, when he confessed what, what I am confessing to you here. He just said it better. Let me quote from Paul at length from Romans chapter 7. I'm going to be reading from the message version, the paraphrase version of the New Testament. Paul says, starting in 
chapter 7. Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's commands are necessary. Verse 17. But I need something more. For I know the law, but still I can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Verse 21. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebels, and just when I least expect it, takes charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of the rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? You see, Paul struggled with this interior world, and he didn't even have Facebook. He didn't have the coronavirus. He didn't have politics. He didn't have racial unrest to trigger him. All he needed to do was to look at his own blighted heart like I'm looking at mine and see that purity of heart seems like it's a long, long way off. It's not about Facebook. That's an exterior thing. It's about my interior, my heart, and what purity is supposed to look like in me and in you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity. Well, the Bible talks a lot about purity in a different ways. It talks about moral purity, talks about doctrinal purity, but if sinlessness and perfect doctrine are the definition of what Jesus means here, then, then we're all going to fail. No, I think Jesus has a different kind of purity in mind. First of all, because the good news of the gospel tells us that Jesus is the one who can remove impurity, iniquity, deceit from our heart before God. Only God can make a heart pure. Cleansing is something that Christ does. John 15, 3 says, You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So before God, we are already pure. This is not about salvation. Doctrinal purity is important, but too often takes us down the road of you know, the Pharisees and legalism. The word for pure that Jesus uses here really means unpolluted or fresh, like a pure mountain stream. Pure, clean water. So imagine like going to a restaurant and the waiter brings you your glass of water and there's a fly floating on top and you know you point it out to the waiter and he takes up the glass and just kind of flicks the fly out and then puts the glass back down. I mean would you drink that water? <laughs> I don't think so. I think you'd probably also find a new restaurant. So what kind of purity is Jesus talking about? Well the 19th century Danish theologian and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said it best with the title of his book devoted to this verse. In fact, the title of the book is better than the rest of the book. The title is actually the best part of the book. Kierkegaard wrote, Purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. The challenge that Jesus lays out before us is that all the many things I want, all the various things that compete, all the complicated things that vie for control of my heart, they all need to be reduced to this one thing. The purity that Jesus is talking about is a singleness of mind. 
a life guided by one purpose. It means a life set on the right goal, the right aim, the right endpoint. Purity of heart does not mean that you never have a bad thought because we're all sinners in recovery. What Jesus is leading us to is the blessing, the joy of having an undivided heart where Jesus is our overarching passion, the overarching goal of everything we think and say and feel and do. The pure in heart are those who have but one aim in life, and that is to glorify God. As a good father, mother, son, daughter, friend, neighbor, accountant, teacher, nurse, marketing executive, scientist, financier, you fill in the blank. Purity of heart means that the center of my life is wrapped around just one thing, that I desire to bring everything, every corner of myself, every aspect of who I am, I desire to bring all of me under God's gracious control to be transformed by His grace in all that I do, to do all to God's glory. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 3.13, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead, I press on for the goal of the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. One thing. That's his one life goal, a single motivating factor that permeates all his other endeavors. To will one thing doesn't mean we stop doing all the other things in life, like you don't stop going to work or going to school or raising your family or serving in the church or whatever. It means that all those other things have to flow out of this greater thing, that myself, my essence, is daily surrendered to the glory of God. One writer put it this way, it is the single-minded one who is free from the tyranny of a divided self the tyranny of a divided self. I really like that phrase because I know what that feels like, to be pulled in so many different directions. And let's be honest, aren't we all divided? Aren't our loyalties sort of confused? Isn't that why it's so dangerous to anoint our political opinions as somehow those are the same thing as the gospel? We are often a jumbled up collection of competing forces and they aren't always in sync. They're not always in harmony with each other. We are not single-minded. It seems like there's a battle raging within each one of us every day of our lives, and that's simply because our old nature is still with us. We have a new nature cleansed by Christ, but there's a fight, there's a battle going on day by day that Paul describes, and so the single-mindedness is something we have to pursue. It's not automatic. It is a discipline of mind and heart and emotions and will. The Lord Jesus is saying that this purity of heart is not simply moral purity. It includes that. It's not just doctrinal purity. It's going to include that. But what Jesus is talking about is being single-minded in our desire to love and serve Him. And are you? I mean, we all sin. We're all going to sin. But are we doing our best with the help of the Holy Spirit in our will to try and live a life that is pleasing to God? Or are we scattered, confused, without focus? Purity of heart means to will one thing, the blessing of an undivided heart. It's not perfection, it's direction. It's not even being where you would want to be in your growth as a Christian. Because uh, purity doesn't uh, uh, come in what we attain. In what we pursue, we find singleness of mind. Purity of heart is the desire to pursue Christ personally and passionately. And then everything else will fall into place. Like later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Jesus puts it this way, he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Not perfection, but direction. A singleness of focus of intention, all directing us to the Lord. 
The person who has not become spiritually poor, who is not mourned over their sins, who has never surrendered their strengths to God's greater purpose, who has never been humbled to the point of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, who has never been filled with an experience of Christ's mercy, who has never experienced this catharsis of the singleness of heart, their vision of God is going to be blurry. The blessing here is this. As a person who, who is pure in heart, allows their life to be kind of lost in Jesus, allows Jesus to live through them, their understanding, perception, their discernment of who God is, of his ways, of his wills, of his heart and hand and how he's at work in their circumstances, that's going to grow. They will experience greater clarity. They will see God. Well, what about it, Christian? What is it in your life that's keeping you from a deeper, more intimate relationship with God? As we prepare for receiving the sacrament of the Lord's table today, I'd like to end with this prayer by Thomas Merton. I see myself in this prayer, my struggles, my desires, my hope in Christ. Maybe you'll see yourself in it too. Prayer by Thomas Merton. Oh Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire to please you. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road. Though I may know nothing about it, therefore I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to make my journey alone. Amen, and God bless you this week.